Today we're continuing our sermon series for Lent, God on the Move, as we explore how God in Christ is always on the move and at work in our lives and in the world. In our story today, Jesus and his disciples go up to the holy city of Jerusalem, and on the way they find themselves in a triumphant parade uh, processional. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 19th chapter of Luke, beginning with the 28th verse. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. While uh, in the church we're beginning Holy Week, there's also another special week going on in the world, and that's uh, this weekend is the weekend of the Masters Golf Tournament in Augusta, Georgia. And as an avid golfer, I love everything about Master's Week. It's hard to get me uh, away from my uh, TV or phone or computer. Anything I can do to keep up with the action that's going on there at Augusta, I'm hooked. And uh, as the tagline says, it truly is a tradition unlike any other. Each year, I look forward to all the traditions of this tournament. The Par 3 tournament on Wednesday, the ups and downs that happen every year at Amen Corner, the green jacket presentation at Butler Cabin. I could go on and on, but I have a pretty good feeling I'm boring at least half of you out there, so I'm going to move on. Needless to say, I love all the traditions of, this, of the, the week of the Masters Tournament. You could even say I've come to expect them. We come to church today on Palm Sunday with lots of expectations, lots of traditions about this day and its story. Children waving palms, the congregation singing out Hosanna, preparing ourselves for Holy Week ahead. But this year in the lectionary, we're asked to hear Luke's story of Palm Sunday, of Jesus entering Jerusalem. And if you notice, Luke's story is one that is told without palms. Only John really has palms. Matthew and Mark have people cutting branches from the tree and laying it down. Only John actually specifically says palms. But Luke just talks about cloaks and garments being spread on the road. 
for Jesus as he enters. The big word associated with this day beyond palms is the word Hosanna. But the crowd doesn't cheer Hosanna and Luke either, as they do in the other three Gospels. And finally in Luke, all of this pomp and circumstance of Jesus' grand entrance into the holy city happens actually outside of the city's walls. Luke's very careful to articulate that. So some of the things we so closely associate with Palm Sunday, some of the things we come to expect on this day, don't quite happen this way in Luke's version of the story. But I assure you, Luke's version of the story has much to teach us about Jesus' ministry, and it's coming to fruition here in the holy city of David. To me, a helpful way of understanding Luke's version of Palm Sunday is to understand it as really an echo or a parallel of Luke's Christmas story. Both of these stories show fulfilled prophecy. In the birth story, there's a connection of Jesus to the line of David and birth in Bethlehem, among others. In today's lesson, we see the fulfillment of the prophecy that the Messiah would come from the Mount of Olives. So prophecy is being fulfilled in both. Both of these stories also illustrate Jesus' humility. Jesus, the man who was born to be king, was not born like royalty of the day, but rather he was born in a barn and wrapped up in a feeding trough. Today we see Jesus process into Jerusalem not like a king with pomp and circumstance standing on his high horse, but rather Jesus comes in on a young colt, riding along the cloaks of his followers that have been spread for him on the road. Both stories also have unlikely witnesses to the event. Jesus' birth as the Messiah was not witnessed by the high and mighty in his day, but by lowly shepherds. Jesus' entrance into the holy city on Palm Sunday is also uh, not witnessed by the societal elite, but is witnessed rather by his followers, people who were poor Jewish folks oppressed by the Roman Empire and by Herod the Roman-appointed ruler of Judea. Finally, and here's where it really all comes together, we see the crowd echo the very words of the angelic chorus that they sang to the shepherds announcing Jesus' birth. Glory in the highest heaven and peace. All this shows the richness of Luke's story that he provides as Jesus processes into into Jerusalem to begin the passion story. The followers of Jesus cry out in praise. We don't hear the familiar Hosanna, which means save us, but rather what we hear is pure praise echoing Psalm 118. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. If you remember, as we heard Psalm 118 in our first reading, there's a slight difference from what Luke puts in, paraphrasing it. In Psalm 118, it says, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Luke is very careful to say king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And really what Luke does here is remind us that Jesus' arrival into the holy city is subversive. Because Jerusalem at this time already has a king. Herod. And it calls, this action calls the power of Rome and its appointee Herod and its governor Pontius Pilate, all of this into question. 
Most scholars agree that historically this action of processing into the city, thereby mocking Roman power, and the action that immediately follows it of Jesus flipping over the tables of the money changers in the temple, all of this are likely the cause of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion as an enemy of the state. Now, this understandably worries some of the Pharisees. They urge Jesus to silence his followers. We often badmouth the Pharisees, but here it seems to me that the Pharisees might even be in agreement with the crowd. To me, I think deep down they want to join in with the crowd in praising, but they're afraid. And out of their fear and their anxiety, they call for Jesus to silence his followers. They're likely afraid that all of this will get Jesus and maybe even the crowd uh, supporting Jesus killed. But on a deeper level, I think the Pharisees' fear is more of the unknown. Their fear is of the unknown. See, the Pharisees, as among the religious elite of the day, had expectations of what God will and will not do. Jesus comes along proclaiming the gospel, inaugurating the kingdom of God on earth, and they feel torn. They sense that God is doing a new thing through Jesus of Nazareth, and they feel simultaneously excited and afraid. They're excited about God's redemptive work, but they're afraid that it seems so different from everything they've known, from everything they've come to expect. You know, often on Palm Sunday, we expect to find ourselves in the crowd in the story. We expect to find ourselves among the crowd, shouting Hosanna, waving our palms. But I think Luke's version of the story leads us to imagine ourselves in the shoes of the Pharisees. The ones whose fear of the unknown and the new leads them to silence any new thing God may be springing forth. Like the Pharisees, we have expectations of what God can and cannot do. How God does and does not work. And any time we perceive God might be working in a new and different way, even if we're excited about it, we might be hesitant too. In many ways, like the Pharisees, we're held captive by our fear, our fear of the unknown, our preference of the status quo. It's not something to be ashamed of necessarily. The Pharisees remind us that these expectations, these hesitations, are a completely human response. But they also remind us that it's part of our brokenness that God is coming to redeem. It's in this moment of fear that Jesus replies to the Pharisees saying, if these, that is, the people in the crowd, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. What a bold statement. It's a statement that's more than a piece of rhetoric. It's actually a paraphrase from one of the minor prophets, Habakkuk, saying that the very stones will cry out from the wall and the plaster will respond from the woodwork. It's as if Jesus boldly says to the Pharisees that the kingdom of God and its reign of peace cannot be silenced by fear and doubt. Sure, you can temporarily silence the joy and squash this change of the new, but eventually the good news will blast out from the very walls, from the very foundation of the building, if need be. In other words, this good news cannot be held back. 
The kingdom of God is broken into the world in spite of our own fear and hesitation. Jesus has come into the brokenness of this world in order that he might redeem it. By inaugurating God's reign on earth, Jesus has waged war against sin and death, but also against fear and doubt. His imminent death will make Rome and the religious authorities think that they've taken care of this threat once and for all. But friends, we know how the story goes. We know the story doesn't end here. We know that he will rise again on the third day. We know that the angel's first words to the women at the tomb, the empty tomb on Easter morning, will be, do not be afraid. God in Christ has come to redeem us from our brokenness, to redeem us from our fear and doubt. And his passion reminds us of this as he cries from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus' words call for us to move from silencing to joining the crowd, praising God, anticipating God's kingdom breaking into our world through the death and resurrection of our Lord. Though we all fear the unknown, we can be sure that God's kingdom can enter into this brokenness, redeeming us from our fear, restoring us from our fear, causing us to join the crowd and cheering on God's arrival. Because we trust in a God whose spirit is always at work reforming the church, we trust in a God who the prophet Isaiah says, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? We trust in a Savior who is always at work reforming our lives, redeeming our brokenness, calling us to faithful discipleship. Because of this, we know that we're no longer defined by our brokenness or by our fears, by our anxieties, we're defined as children of God. Jesus enters Jerusalem. The crowd lays cloaks and cheers that the kingdom of God has come near. The Pharisees try to shush the crowd out of their own fear of the new and the unknown. So Jesus responds, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. Jesus moving into Jerusalem means that God is active and at work to redeem and overcome our fears and our brokenness. We may have expectations in our lives, but this story shows how God is at work in redeeming our world by transcending all of our biggest hopes and expectations. God's kingdom breaking into our fearful world is news that is too powerful, too freeing, to keep quiet. So friends, when we see glimpses of God's kingdom breaking into our world that is so burdened by fear, the question is, where do we find ourselves? Are we in the crowd laying down our cloaks, clearing the way for God's kingdom to break in? Or are we in fear, off to the side, finding a way to silence it because of our fear? As we begin Holy Week and move from the cross to the empty tomb, friends, may we remember that our Lord has redeemed us from sin and death, but also from fear and doubt. May we remember this, may we experience this, friends, that we might join the crowd in laying down our cloaks and cheering on the coming of God's kingdom on earth, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. May it be so. Amen.